Welcome to Beyond the Routine with Bettina and Nick Shimanek. The podcast where we step away from the workouts and get real about life. We're a husband and wife duo, performance trainers, parents, and health and wellness experts. When we're not training professional athletes or traveling the world filming or leading workouts, we're sharing about life beyond the routine and how we find balance in all the unexpected and the chaos that our careers bring. Whether you're here to see what's going on in our crazy lives or how we manage our work-life balance, or you're interested in improving your overall health, we're here to take you beyond beyond the the routine. Welcome back to Beyond the Routine with Bettina and Nick Shimanek, minus the Nick Shimanek. Today, you are here. Devastated. Devastated. (laughs) You are here with me, stuck with me again, but you're also joined by one of my really good friends, Max Artsis. He is a performance coach and a strategic advisor of many things, I'd like to say. Uh, But yeah, you know, Max has been one of my really great friends for a a long time now. Uh, Over at Nike is where we are. Our friendship began. And uh, yeah, we've had some... Uh, we both moved to LA uh, at separate times. Did some, did our own things, and now we're we're back. At, you're back at your home home base, and now I'm in Texas with my with my new family. So it's a uh, yeah. We both realized very quickly that it, it wasn't the long term <laughs> spot. Yeah, yeah. LA was in our uh, was in our forever homes. I guess I I thought it would be though. <laughs> Did you? I, I'm from there. So I got, I think I always knew that yes. it wasn't going to be my end all. Yeah, you're from there. But I have a lot of friends from Chicago that live there. And so I kind of had my own little bubble of Chicago friends. You got to meet some and you know, they're all good peeps, you know? Yeah, they're all just good people. Good old Midwest peeps. <laughs> but anyway, today we wanted to talk a little bit about burnout, um, how to improve it, how to prevent it. Uh, Max has worked with so many different types of clients from VPs at Nike. And now you're currently working with Arena Strive and working with some really high level physicians out there. So you have experienced and heard from like from the people that experience the burnout um, and really just trying to help them get better and help in every single way. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun to be able to see the similarities and also the differences between your high level executive, between your Olympic athlete, and then now with physicians and frontline healthcare workers. Um, there's a lot of similarities because at the end of the day, we're all human beings and um, share a lot of the the problems. Um, but at the same point, a lot of people have different and unique bespoke um, barriers for them yeah. uh, based on the life that they chose. Uh, so it's a, it's a fascinating question to always be coming back to how we can optimize for performance, no matter what phase of life someone's in. Yeah. Yeah. And I completely missed that part that you've trained Olympic athletes. Uh, so you have trained basically everybody <laughs> in every realm possible. So, uh, yeah, you've, you've pretty much seen it all. Um, what do you think some of the common threads are in the burnout in general? Yeah. And um, what is burnout? I feel like some people, I, I, someone asked me the other day, like, what is burnout? I'm like, you must have a really great, great life. <laughs> I think it, I think it looks, I think it looks differently for everybody. Yeah. Um, what I ultimately see leading to burnout for most people is this lack of an understanding of cumulative or, or allostatic load. Uh, 
So a lot of people are very good at recognizing when they are in stressful moments, when they are acute, when they are heightened in that moment. But what seems to escape a lot of people is the compound effect of stress Mm. throughout your life. And a lot of these people that I've worked with, whether that's a high level executive, a physician now, or a professional athlete are phenomenal at compartmentalizing in their brain when they are at work, when they are off of work, when they're um, with their family, but your body is unable to compartmentalize, right? So they see all these stressors as something different, but your body is reading stress as stress as stress, whether you're setting your fantasy football lineup, whether you're doing the (laughs) OR room, whether you're an Olympic athlete about to drop into the half pipe, like your body is reading stress. Um, And so becoming wildly aware of the cumulative load that is happening and then instigating, not instigating, um, initiating protocols that can combat that ahead of time is ultimately where we're trying to go, right? It's how do we change the narrative from how long can I go and endure what I'm doing to how can I get ahead of this and establish a performance model where over time I can continuously get better and better and better. Yeah. Do you do you listen to Dave Asprey a lot or have read any of his books or anything? Not a lot. I yeah. think there are some things, you know, I think to to permeate a space like biohacking, you yeah. have to be pretty wild and out there. <laughs> so there are some things that I definitely vibe with and there are things that I, I think are yeah, still too Yeah, he's far got some some really wild stuff, even just in his Bulletproof Labs in Santa Monica. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I was just yeah. li- listening to him on Jay Shetty and, you know, he was all talking about how important it is to put yourself in those stressful situations in like a controlled environment and then figure out how to calm yourself and get yourself back into that rest and digest mode right after that really stressful situation. Yeah. What I wonder, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this is like when these doctors or athletes are in these really heightened, heightened moments and they, they don't know how to compartmentalize, but they kind of, they, they think they are. And then they just go into their regular life again. Do you feel like they're still in those heightened moments and they're not realizing they're still heightened or have they actually like relaxed from those moments like immediately or they're still feeling it? I think it's twofold. I think one is uh, once they've experienced those heightened moments, it's hard for them to adjust back to unheightened life Yeah, because you've experienced something that like not a lot of people get the opportunity to experience, right? If you were in the Navy SEALs, you were experienced heightened, like something you and I have never felt. Never. If you are an Olympic snowboarder about to drop in at the top of the Beijing games, that is something I have never felt. Mm -hmm. So when you experience these highs that people chase by doing bungee jumping and skydiving and doing all these things, And then you have to return back to your normal life for the next four years. If you're an Olympian or coming back home from, from, you know, the military, it's really hard for people to acclimate to not feeling those types of stressors. So I think that's one thing that's really interesting and and important to be aware of. And that's, I think why so many um, Olympians are are actually known to be suicidal, right? It's just this massive difference in qualities of life that you're experiencing are hard for a lot of people to adjust to. And then the other side of the coin is making sure that you have a shutdown or transition routine. Mm. So making sure when you leave work, and this is for anybody, right? Like how many times have you pitched a, a deck 
or you've done, you know, um, a spreadsheet and gone into meetings and things like that. Someone said something that really got your brain turning. You go back to Nick and the kids, but you're not really with Nick and the kids. Yeah. You're thinking about some other thing, yep. right? So your cortisol is still driving. We're still releasing all those endorphins and hormones that are going on. You have not transitioned out of it. So a lot of what we're doing, especially for these clinicians is trying to give them really strong and intentional transitional moments mm. when they leave the OR or when they leave the hospital and go back to home life. Yeah. What are, what have been the top three things that have worked that you've heard from clinicians? Um, for some before they go to bed, because uh, we hear a lot that they're waking up at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, yeah. uh, quite frequently. I think that has probably more to do with the allostatic load that's that's being placed on them and decisions that they're potentially making six, eight, 12 hours before they go to bed. But something that could potentially help is uh, reading a, a fiction book. Mm -hmm. So something that has absolutely nothing to do with their world. Yeah. And not anything um, that they're learning or anything that makes them their brain process just, anything, right? Just something fun. Just mm -hmm. get you out of your head. Um, so I think that's been really powerful. Uh, two would be breath work. Yeah. Um, Big you know, one. I think breath work used to be, I don't want to use the word frowned upon, but probably a significantly more skeptical audience to breath work. And yeah. as we're starting to quantify what happens to gray matter, what happens to the frontal cortex of your brain, what happens to your central nervous system when you're breathing and doing whether it's box breathing or in, you know, into out one through the nose, um, we're able to now quantify how significant intentional breath work is. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a massive uh, tool for people. And then the other one that I lean really aggressively into is a gratitude practice. Yes. That's, that's um, something that Nick and I have been doing since the day we started dating. <laughs> Yeah. I like was like, you're going to be with, part of is this. It with, is it with each other or is it independent? <laughs> we do it together, but we talk about what our own things that we're, gra we're grateful for. But whenever someone says something that they're grateful for, we're not allowed to say the same thing. <laughs> we have to do find something new. you ever make it intentionally about each other? Uh, I think indirectly we do. Like, because yeah. every night we try to say at least three. And yeah. It always, I mean, there's always something about us or about the kids. Sometimes we say we we always have one that's about us or the kids that we sometimes have to be like, what is what is one thing you're grateful for that has nothing to do with the kids? Because <laughs> this always has to do with the kids. You know, we we just love that. How many times has the flat top grill come up for Nick? <laughs> he has definitely thanked. He's definitely <laughs> been grateful for that black stone. He has definitely. So if uh, for those of you listening, Max listening, knows. If you're Max knows Stone, all you about yeah, that's, <laughs> this too. Black and yeah, he actually convinced uh, one of his clients, uh, his clients uh, partner to buy him a Blackstone so he can cook for them. <laughs> so when he's at their house, I, like I was like, good for you. But he will like you, he man. loves it. He cooks breakfast every morning. Like I don't even cook anymore. I used to be the breakfast person. And he would do dinner. And now I'm yeah. like. So now I wake up, but he, the only thing is I like to kind of like get going a little bit faster. And I'm like, all right, are we going to have breakfast? Or? It's the same with me and my girlfriend. <laughs> I'm up and at him and she's like, maybe 10 more minutes. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, oh. No, but I love that that's been something that really works. The gratitude practice, something that I really like. And um, when I was helping with the Arena Strive team, some people really enjoyed the um, the brain dump. That's just literally 
anything that's in my brain, I just put in a notebook and it's kind of like you just put it there and it stays and it lives there. Um, yeah. It's just another form of journaling, really. But I like to think of it as a brain dump because I'm literally just imagining that everything's just going right into that notebook. And there's so much science behind once we're able to label things, mm-hmm. it tends to have less of a hold on us. Mm. So I think um, similar to stimulus labeling, the things that are um, really occupying space in your brain, if we can start to label them as I'm worrying, I am mm. ruminating, I am imagining, whatever those are, I think it takes a little bit of the hold over your obsessive nature to mm. overthink on things yeah. away. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's what meditation really does. It helps you see things for what it is versus becoming engulfed in it. You know, the more you could just it's, sit there. Meditation is so fascinating, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone thinks that the intent of meditation is stillness, is quiet, mm-hmm. is everything has to be away. And if you don't achieve that, you are doing it wrong. Yeah. And I, I definitely felt that way mm-hmm. when I first started. And I, I'm sure I still do. Um, when in reality, all we're trying to do is put a spotlight on whatever is happening and just give you more information so that way you can then handle that. Right. And it's the same with honestly, a lot of these technologies and tools that we're seeing nowadays with whoop, with aura. Um, when you do see a day that is in the red, it's not that you're, it's not a death sentence for you. (laughs) It's a form of communication Mm -hmm. that says, Hey, the things you're doing right now, your body isn't liking, let's make some changes. And how great is it that you can see those red days? Because if you didn't, who knows, maybe you'd have a month, two months, three months of putting your body in a physiological, physiologically unrested and recovered state. Mm-hmm. And that could be really bad. Yeah. When all of it really comes down to awareness. And it's so funny because a lot of athletes or people that work out are the ones that wear the sleep monitors, wear the trackers, but really the people that need to be wearing them are the doctors, are the VPs so they can manage their stress. Uh, what have I know you've had some physicians and nurses take on the aura rings. Have you had any of your VPs that you've worked with wear a tracker or track their sleep and see how that's affected them? They do. Um, where I think the most powerful combination of the two, obviously, is being able to have a coach that can really thoughtfully interpret that mm-hmm. for you. I know these companies are doing everything they can to make all of their data actionable, right? Because data for the sake of data is just confusing and overwhelming for most people. Of course. Um, So the end goal is the data is only as good as our ability to translate that into habitual and actionable changes. Um, For me, it's it's a way to hold up a mirror to somebody and Mm. say, are you doing the things that you say you want? Because at the end of the day, we need to do one of two things. We either need to change our habits or change our expectations. Yeah. Right? Like, I cannot have this expectation of I'm going to be this elite human being. And then my habits suck. Yeah. So my job as a coach is to explain to you what it takes to get here. It's not to make you go do that. If you say, I understand what you've told me, and I'm still going to do these things, then my job is to say, let's bring down our expectations then. Mm-hmm. No worries. No, no sweat off my back. Mm-hmm. But you have to change one of two. One of two things has to give. And yeah. so for me, it's a really good way of putting the power back into someone's hands. And then also for us to be able to identify trends mm-hmm. because you're going to have those random days. In order for you to peak, you have to hit valleys. 
mm-hmm. right? Life happens and I'm going to go out and have four old fashions this weekend. Like <laughs> things, things happen and yeah, you're going to wake up in days that you're a suboptimal and that's fine. So as long as we have those sprinkled days in there, I don't really see a big problem in there. For me, it's identifying trends. Okay. These trends are starting to tell us a story about how you live your life. Mm-hmm. Have you had any experience wearing like glucose monitors or anything of the sort? I know you wear it. You know, I haven't done it. I think they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. So like, this is not a reflection on what I think of it because I actually think continuous glucose monitoring is a brilliant way of doing things. Yeah. Um, and even something as small as going for a walk right after you eat mm-hmm. um, and seeing the way that that anecdotally made my body feel. I'm very confident that my blood sugar levels and things like that were yeah. very different from the times that I do walk and the times that I don't walk post eating. Oh yeah. I've been, I, I wore one for a month and I, I really love these nature Valley, another nature Valley, nature's bakery fig bars. And of okay. course they have a lot of added sugar in them and they're a little snack that I, I try not to have a lot. And there was one time I ate one and I wore the glucose monitor and I just kind of ate it and just started doing work on the computer. And I was like, Oh dang, that thing went right up. And then one yeah. day I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. So I, I, Aluna had goes to this little gym class. And so I ate it right before I go to the gym class and it's a parent and toddler gym class ate yeah. it right before the gym class within 10 minutes. We're walking to the class. We're playing around no spike. So it's just really cool to see something as simple as like just I wasn't working out, but I was just, you know, following her along, staying active. So right there, data showed me that that snack is better if I, you know, if I move around afterwards. And I think a lot of you have maybe you make the decision to have some fiber before you have that snack. That's a huge, huge Mm -hmm. way to reduce uh, insulin spikes. Mm hmm. It data only has control over what you allow it to control. True. You know, and and I think that's something that as we're getting into a more data rich information and data used to be so safeguarded, right? Like the ability to force profile someone, the ability to see what your glucose monitoring looked like, to get your body scan dexed, to be able to see what your heart rate variability is. Like the fact that I can see your heart rate variability on your finger or on your wrist is bananas (laughs) to me. It's crazy. Yep. But with that comes information overload. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden people go like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do I do with it? I don't don't even know where to to start. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they do see those days that don't look as good to them and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes overwhelming and obsessive. And then you also get to this point where you wake up and you're like, oh, my God, I wonder what my number is. Yeah. And And then you feel great. But then all of a sudden you see that the numbers were low and then you're like, oh, I don't feel good anymore. Or vice versa. (laughs) Right. Like, hey, I feel better than my numbers are telling me. Yeah. Why are my numbers telling me this? And I mean, that was for the for the longest time when I was uh, working with my competitive athletes. The week of, I would be able to see their metrics, but they couldn't see their metrics. Oh, that's great. Because yep. I wanted, I wanted yep. nothing to do with them psyching themselves out if they had a bad night of sleep or something. Yeah. For someone that doesn't track their data or doesn't have anything, any sort of awareness as to how they're feeling, really, what are some signs of burnout? <laughs> Such a tough question, right? Because yeah. it's so independent for people. It really is. Um I think there's a lot of similarities between mental health, depression, and ultimately burnout, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Lack of interest in doing things, um, lack of energy, uh, reduced or interrupted sleep, changes to your appetite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they manifest very similarly, right? Um, 
I can't tell you. I mean, obviously in our field that I'm, I'm working in now, you know, hearing what is this physical burnout or is this emotional burnout or is this mental burnout? Cause those mm. are three very different things as well. Mm-hmm. Right. I physically cannot handle the fact that I am doing 16 hour shifts. I emotionally am drained because I am in the ICU. I mentally am absolutely at capacity because I'm sitting in front of a computer doing clerical work for 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's also identifying what type of burnout are we looking at? Because is my goal for you then to reduce your stress or is my goal for you to make you more resilient to stress and increase your capacity for stress? Because those are two very different things. Yeah. Well, with those two different things, what are some of like, what are some of the actions? Like, what is the first step if between building resilience or dropping their stress? I think the first thing you need to do is identify if you have control over how much stress you have in your life sure. and where you have stress sure. over your life. Yeah. Right. Everyone some people has had so many, some, some people have families. Yep. Right. So let's say you're a physician and you don't have control over your schedule. So you're mm-hmm. going to be getting really poor sleep. You don't have control over the stress that you're going to see because you work in the ER, the ICU. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that you cannot control. But when you go home and watch six episodes of Justified until three o'clock in the morning, that's something that you can control. <laughs> of what? When, how, what how you handle, <laughs> how you handle, you know, your day-to-day interactions and other things and how you eat. Those things are in your yeah. control. So for me, I think it's almost making two different lists. What's within my control to reduce and what is not in my control to reduce? Mm. And that way you can start to be really intentional with how do I reduce stress here? And then how do I use the theory of progressive overload over here and Mm. say, can I just make myself incrementally more resilient to the stress that I'm going to experience? Because we talk about that with the clinicians all the time. I am not going to be able to make your life a whole lot easier because Mm. you chose a life of service. Yeah. Very grateful for that. But that also comes with an extra responsibility Mm -hmm. in the NFL guys that I work with. If they have a 30 year career, they're probably in the hall of fame (laughs) for the frontline healthcare clinicians. The average lifespan is 20 to 30 years. Mm. So preventative methods are not celebrated things that get you into the hall of fame. They're expected because it's the only way you're going to make it. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, I didn't even think about it that way. It's it's first and foremost, the the clinicians that you're working with are just such another level. Like they are truly the the real life superheroes of our world. Incredible. And it's, you they they give and you give, give and you give, give until you have absolutely nothing left to give and then you give a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to be a part of a company that has a mission that is saying, Hey, we want to give to those that are giving, yeah. uh, it's, it's an incredible experience to be a part of, yeah. um, and to be able to see the difference in, in their daily life because they live such, you know, high stress moments, yeah. um, for a lot of the minimal dose effect of what, what it is that we talk about, you know, you start to see some really, really thoughtful and, um, significant changes. Yeah. Well, what I love and someone who's really inspiring to me is one of my best friends. She is an ICU brain trauma nurse for the pediatrics. And she is honestly so brilliant. And, you know, I'm so grateful to have her in my life because if there's anything that ever happens with the kids, I'm always like, hey, Corey, what do I do? But what I love about her attitude and not saying that she's 
always like this, but she is so free spirited and happy and just she does so many things that fuel her soul. And I feel like that's how she's able to battle some of that burnout. Uh, I've definitely have seen I've seen her burnout at times. And there are definitely times where she wants to leave what she's doing. But because she gets to do so many fun things outside of there, I feel like that's what's really kept her kept her going and keeping her there. She works at one of the best hospitals in, in the United States and at one of the most challenging jobs, but she just does so many things for herself. She has a great relationship. And um, yeah, I think it's just, she's, and she's exploring more things like meditation. She loves listening to Huberman and figuring out how she can continue to biohack or continue to, to do all the things to make her feel better on day to day. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because I think with the biohacking stuff too, sometimes we're stepping over a dollar to pick up a penny. <laughs> yeah, uh, people want you know instant. I know you and I, <laughs> you and I joke about the cold tub and how much we love doing it, but it's like if I'm getting two hours of sleep, me getting into a cold tub is not, not going to do, do anything. <laughs> so I think it's important that people understand what their big levers are, yeah. right? Fitness, nutrition, mindset, sleep. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is a nice little lever underneath it. But if you're playing around with those and you're missing those big buckets, you're missing the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. For some of the VPs that you've you've trained, I know that a lot of people that are on here, there's a mix of people that are VPs, people that are in it's basically everybody. And yeah. what do you think the first thing that they can do besides breath work, besides um, just getting some more meditation or slowing down in the evening. Is there anything that they could do during the day that you feel like is really helpful? They could step so I out. Think and- I think there's a few, a, a few things to, to take a step back and know. Um, I recently did a podcast with Kristen Holmes from, v, mm-hmm. from Woo. And she highlighted uh, some work that she did within the McKinsey study and the McKinsey study, they took 120 CEOs. Mm. Um, and they had two phases to that study. So in phase one, what they did was test the readiness and cognitive reaction time. So matching colors, doing tap tests, things like that. Mm. And what they found was that for every 45 minutes of sleep deprivation, the leaders had a decrease in mental control and mental acuity by up to 10%. Mm. So to, to oversimplify it for every 45 minutes of sleep debt, they got 10% dumber the next day, which is obviously not ideal (laughs) if you're making really large decisions that potentially result in a lot of money for companies or missed money for companies. The phase two of that was them talking to the direct reports of those leaders. And what they did was try to understand the psychological safety that was the relationship between the direct report and their direct manager. And what they found was that there was a significant correlation and difference between the psychological safety felt by the um, employee as well for every 45 minutes that their manager lost the night before. Mm. So the danger here for leaders of companies in prioritizing other things without prioritizing sleep first is quantifiably uh, negligent. Let's just call it what it is. Mm. Um, the other scary thing about it is the leaders had absolutely no idea of their decline of mental acuity wow. in the study. So they had no idea that they 
had a decline in the sharpness of their processing speeds and things wow. like that the next day. It's so when we look at the bottom line of business, psychological safety was one of the most, if not the most predictable um, marker of success. And so if we can tie that to their sleep, then we can take it all the way back down. And one of the most important things that people can be doing to increase um, the effectiveness of their sleep Mm -hmm. is making consistent sleep and wake times. Yes, I've read that recently. Uh So one of the studies that was done, I believe, on it was like 18 year old elite athletes. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, prime, prime specimen. (laughs) And it seemed like the number was around 45 minutes this disparity between when you could wake up day in, day out. Now you can only imagine as someone ages three or four decades beyond that, how much shorter that window most likely becomes in order for someone to be able to hit that window. Wow. See, that's, that's, that one to me really hit home when I heard that because I am always so obsessed with trying to get the same amount of sleep, like making sure I get seven and a half to eight and a half hours. But when I read that, I was like, okay, this is something I I can control because, you know, most of the time the kids are going to wake up at any time. Like, I don't really know. They could wake up at 630. They could wake up at seven. So I try to wake up at six before they wake up every day, but I have to make sure that I'm trying to go to bed at the same time every day. And I've noticed a big difference. And yeah. And then there's also, right, the sleep quality that you get prior to midnight versus the sleep quality you get post midnight Mm -hmm. are wildly different things. Mm -hmm. And it's important to educate on those things. And then as a coach say, I understand that you may not be in control of that. Right. So let's let's talk about how we can help set you up for success. Mm -hmm. But for us to never say, these are the things that you need to do if you want to be elite. Yes. We have to, we have to educate that. We have to educate the optimal and then coach the practical. Mm -hmm. Obviously doctors are very into the whole science aspect of it. Um, And they love hearing the data, but what about those VPs? What about, the not even the athletes because I feel like athletes might be more into the science aspect. But mm-hmm. has ever has anyone ever just been like, oh, I don't, I don't think that the data doesn't pertain to me, or oh, I don't. I, they just rather hear it like more black and white. Or I, I just, I'm just so curious to see if that even makes a big difference when they hear studies. It depends, I think, on the self awareness that someone has of what their pitfalls are, mm. right? So if if um, because for some some of my higher level executives, the only way that I was able to get through to them is by presenting the data. Yeah. That's what this I would is black think. And white, what it, this is black and white what it's telling me, man. Um, but the other ones, I was in a really blessed position because I was the first person in their day and the last person in their day that needed nothing from them. Mm. And so every time that they walked in, I was, I'm here for you. However you need me to show up for you today, I'm here for you. Your kids, when you woke up, needed something from you. As soon as you go to your desk, 400 people are going to need something from you. So we were able to build a really personal uh, relationship. Um, And obviously, like the reason I got into coaching in the first place is not the X's and O's. I I wish I nerded out and went home and read about force profiling and, (laughs) um, you know, musculoskeletal pathologies and all these things. And I do it because I, I know I have to do it in order to be good at my craft. But what matters to me most is the relationships and, you know, sports psychology. Um, and so we were able to find a good amount of, of executives that just said, you know, 
I just feel happier. I mean, I have more, more energy. I have more focus when I'm at home with my family, right? To me, that's a big one. That's a big win. It's what's important. What's important to you? Because are you slowly draining the battery? And then by the time you get home with your kids, with your wife, Mm -hmm. with your husband, with your spouse, with your friend, whoever it is that's at home with you, you're just not there because you've spent everything you've got. Yeah. Then, okay, we need to go build your capacity. And a lot of times that is in the gym. Right. A lot of times people think like working out and doing all these performance um, tactics are reserved for the elite athletes and people that love all this stuff. Like, no, I'm trying to make you more resilient to life Yes, because the bigger your circle of resiliency is, the more capacity we have to experience different levels of stress in your life and it not affect you as poorly. Yeah. No, I love that. The whole ben, how do we get you to bend, not break more yeah. often than not? Yeah. And, and, I, and again, I don't think a lot of people are, are realizing that until it like affects their family or affects their personal life because you're just so caught up in your work and that's when you can't show up for everyone else. And, you know, you can't show up for your family, one but then my, you can't show up for your, your people at work and you're a leader. One of my, one of my favorite analogies is uh, an ice cube. An ice cube melts sure at 32 degrees, but that doesn't mean that a whole lot didn't happen between zero and 32. Mm. Right. So it's going back to that cumulative and allostatic load that we talked about originally. It looks like everything happened at once, but that's not true. It happened one degree at a time, Mm. slowly and surely Mm. over time, over time, over time, until you finally got to 32 degrees and started to melt. Yeah. So how can we identify that at 14 degrees, at 16 degrees, even at 31 degrees? Whenever it is within that spectrum, how can we start to be able to tune into where we are at um, and have a little bit better kinesthetic awareness? Yeah. So that way we can get ahead of these things. If someone doesn't have a coach, what do you think? What are the quickest ways that someone can build more awareness besides wearing an aura ring or um, stepping away for some meditation or a therapist? Something that they could do right then and there. I think the, like, if we back up, um, I think with the amount of podcasts Mm -hmm. and video resources and free resources that are online, if people are not proactively educating themselves about how to be the best human being you possibly can be at zero cost to you, how do I help you? True. Right. You have to at a certain point, you have to take ownership over yourself and your body and your health. Yes. Now it's <laughs> now it's not it. We're not in a time where I don't know is as acceptable to me as a coach because. Everything is at your fingertips. You just said it. Huberman in one two hour podcast will give you a Ph.D. Everything. In seven different <laughs> topics. Right. So for me as a coach, I can't tell you what's important to you. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out what's important to you. I can help you find that for yourself. Um, but, and, and to be fair, there are other coaches that are out there that love that part of the process. I'm just going to tell you what it is. You're going to show up. You're not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to tell you everything. Yeah. And I think that's great, right? I think there's a, a lid to every pot and there's a coach for every type of human being that needs a coach. But for me personally, I don't want to be your crutch. Yeah. Right. I want to be your exclamation point. I've never said that before, but I love that. (laughs) 
I want to be your exclamation point, right? Like I want to say what you need to do the work to figure out what matters to you most. And then I will be the Tom Tom that helps to show you how to drive there. If you're old enough to remember the Tom Tom reference. <laughs> Tom Tom. <laughs> I love it. Besides Huberman. Back in the days we were printing out MapQuest. I know. <laughs> I know MapQuest. Oh, so funny. But besides Huberman, who are some other podcasts or people that you really look up to to find your information? Because obviously you're very knowledgeable and you are um, you're very picky on what you like to listen to. I'm very picky. <laughs> um, I think like Kristen, I mean, Kristen, Kristen Holmes, Holmes does an incredible job. She's the, uh, she's the VP at Wolf, articulating. Right? In them. Yeah, she does an incredible job of kind of articulating her perspective. Um. Fergus Connolly is a book that I read. Uh, he has a book that's called um, Game Changer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have that, the white one right there. Um, I really, I really, really enjoy that book. Um, there's so many different ones that are within the athlete space that I really geek out on. Um, and then outside of that, I do a, most of my listening, honestly, personally, about leadership, psychological yeah. Tactics to be able to understand negotiation tactics, right? Like everything in your day is a negotiation. Mm. So how do we set ourselves up for success by the linguistics we use and the verbiage we, we, you know, use in a day in and day out basis to kind of get what we want, but make sure that people like us as well. Or it's, it's fascinating the different trends and what I, I want to read about yeah. based on like the age of my life. Yeah. And I was going to say too, from for how long we've known each other, we've both had such different lives, I feel like. And not even, I mean, we've been friends for maybe eight, ten years. I was wanted to say 10. I wanted to say 10. Yeah. And, you know, obviously so much can happen in 10 years. And um, what were some of the biggest changes for you besides moving to LA? Like when, when did you decide like, you know what, I want to move back to Oregon? Like, was there some, a big change in your lifestyle or did you have some form of burnout in work? I don't, I don't think it was burnout. I think it just took me thinking that I wanted something else to realize what I really do want. Mm. Um, when I was at Nike and when I was in Portland originally, my friendship bucket was overflowing right? Like the, the greatest social life. And you I had some imagine. great friends there. Uh, I love your friends. Incredible <laughs> human beings, incredible human beings. Um, my professional life was fine, but I did feel like I was hitting a bit of a ceiling. Um, and then find like, for me, I think, I think of it in threes for the most part, right? Like personal fulfillment, um, professional fulfillment, financial, I guess, for financial fulfillment, and then my social life. And so everything was good for me, except for that work. Uh, I felt like I was, I was hitting a limit of what I could be doing and I needed to go to a bigger place. And so I did that. And I went back down to LA and worked with my Olympians and my NFL athletes and tonal. Um, and what I realized very quickly was how little credit I gave the human beings in my life bucket Mm. Um, that at this stage in my life, uh, I have come to the realization is the only thing that matters to me. Mm. It's the only thing that matters to me are like the, and it, and you ask anybody, my walls are up. It is hard to break down a wall with me, but once you're in, Oh yeah. 
you're, you're loyal. You're in. Yep. Um, I, I, it's, it's, it's very cut and dry with me. Like you're either on the outside of the wall and you're on the inside <laughs> of the wall. So, um, I'm inside. You know, thankfully back, you did it. You made it. You and Nick made it. Um, you know, up here, a lot of my friends are having kids now yeah. and they're like, uncle Max, what's up? And I get to go in there, rile them up and then give them back to their kids. They back give back to their parents once they're all riled up. So, um, which is really good for them, that, by the way, it's great for the kids. Oh, they sleep great. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> um, for me to be able to do that and then be able to do thoughtful work you know, from here has just been such an incredible experience. I was able to work remotely with Tonal as well. Um, you know, I think that work from home life, obviously everything changing with COVID has made things really challenging for people because it made it harder for a lot of people to have those interpersonal relationships, especially in real life. Yeah. But for me personally, it gave me the opportunity to become back to my interpersonal relationships and still yeah. be able to work at a really high level. Yeah. No, I've more than ever, especially now that I've moved to Dallas, Texas, where I don't know anyone besides Nick's family and his friends, I've realized how important family and community, not even family, but, you know, family is obviously important, but community is such a separate bucket. And, you know, the first year I was here, I was pregnant and wasn't really getting out there. I just had some of my... um, some of Nick's friends, which they are all amazing and I love them, but I knew I wanted to find my own community. But then I also wanted to connect with the people that I love. And so I would just make sure I'd send my voice notes. I know you love my voice notes. Um, <laughs> send my voice notes to my friends, connect with them via FaceTime and have that community because it's so important. And it is. And that's what honestly what I talked to some of the surgeons about, because mm-hmm. I think that they live very solitary lifestyles a lot of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. You come into the you come into the, the hospital. You are the person in charge. You're doing the thing. You get out, you go home like it's it's although you're around people, you are very much kind of in your own world. Yeah. Um. So a huge conversation that I have with them is like, how do we tap into community outside of yes. the hospital to be able to how do you how do you fill your bucket a little bit more yeah, and get get outside of that isolation because that's um i mean especially after covid so many people have isolation that. and also environment right mm-hmm. like if you can't change something on the tree maybe you need to change the soil sometimes mm. you and all these gems max i'm a big i'm a big analogy <laughs> i guy. know big analogy guy well this is what i want to finish it out with <laughs> okay you're <laughs> Sorry, I'm just oh, yeah. laughing at myself because I didn't. Th- I, there was no way I could keep the, my face straight on this. I was gonna make you sing, but I know you won't do it. Oh no! <laughs> we can go karaoke if you want to turn the, the mics back on at karaoke or something like that. We can do that. No, Ma- Max, you you really did provide such helpful information today. So I wanted to to end it on a fun and happy note because you are so amazing and so talented and so caring and giving to everyone around you. But I had to toot your horn and let people know that you actually are an amazing (laughs) singer. (laughs) He's actually an award winning singer. You won. Didn't you win an award in Portland? Look, we don't need to talk about that stuff. So Max is an actor, uh, was an actor and singer. um, And he can also play piano really well. So we, we need yeah. to like well, find a clip says, and insert it. Says the, the lead bassist. Okay. <laughs> you know, let's, let's look in the mirror a little bit. Yeah. But I didn't sing. You could sing your booty off. I love it. It's yeah. the best. And, I, and you know, <laughs> I, we have, I have, I have one surgeon that I'm coaching right now. Uh, and I, I talked to him yesterday and he's like, I was like, why'd you get three and a half hours of sleep, man? Like, what are we doing? 
he's like, I picked up a guitar for the first time in like 10 years. Okay. Not mad at him for that. It. And I was like, bud, <laughs> I love that for you. That just I, made I, my I, heart just, sing. Just finding those, finding those small sources of joy that, yeah. that you used to have. I just, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. I love that. It's amazing. So I love much. It. And that's what I did at Nike, right? Like yeah. I would work, I would work 10 hours a day at Nike with my athletes. And then I would go to a musical <laughs> at night. It was, that was what gave me, that's what gave me life. That's the I one thing it. that I, I really regret is that I didn't get to actually see you perform, but okay. I'm, I'm going to find, I'm going to find something on your Instagram somewhere. You didn't miss it. much. It's fine. You're <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Well, Max, thank you so much for joining me and providing such amazing information. We are we are so grateful. And I know all the listeners are very, very grateful. And if you're feeling like some of those symptoms like burnout, um, you know, some of the big, quick, actionable steps that Max shared today, I think hopefully will help you. Um, and if there's anything else that you have questions on, please feel free to contact us at contact at beyond the routine podcast.com and make sure you follow max on the ig we'll put it all in the show notes peace thank you b just real quick we'd like to remind you that while we are fitness and wellness professionals we are not doctors or prescribing any medical advice we do advise that before you change any of your habits or routines you always should check with your healthcare provider